Welcome to the Financial Dads Podcast with Paul Fagan and Paul Becker. This podcast is for all the moms and dads out there who struggle with life's topics, especially related to family and finances. Now here's my dad, Paul Fagan. Hey, Paul, how you doing? Good morning, Paul. How's it going today? Uh, Not too bad, not too bad. And welcome to Financial uh, Dads officially as our new co-host. So, as I announced on the last uh, podcast of last year, was a rerun um, or, or an encore episode. We we discussed uh, Jody leaving the show, uh, but you know at this point it's it's been working out great because you were working with us previously and doing some of these podcasts as a guest spot, and now you know and we're all friends prior as I explained on the podcast. No harm, no foul. Jody decided um, at this point he he wanted to kind of step down from it and you stepped up. So Paul, thank you for helping me continue this journey of financial dads. I really appreciate it. And and it's been great to kind of work with you on all these things. Yeah, thank you, Paul. Thanks for including me in this. And, uh, you know, big shout out to Jody for all the groundwork that the two of you have laid over the last few, last countless pods, uh, 60 plus episodes or whatever it is. It's it's really neat, and uh, I'm excited to be part of it. Hopefully, I can uh, help our listeners out there as well. Yeah, so. I appreciate it. And I think you bring a, a dynamically new perspective as well, uh, which is going to be interesting, right? Your life situation, and we've talked about it on some of the previous podcasts, um, I think lends itself to you'll hear different things or the audience will hear different things going forward and different ideas. And we've already started to brainstorm. So thank you. I think this new energy is going to be awesome. It's going to be yeah, really it'll be cool. great. The only thing is, you know, I started doing this, and Paul, you're already costing me money here. I need <laughs> microphone, headset. God only knows what you're going to make me do next, but it'll be good. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you the list next it. week. I'll give you the list next week. So, <laughs> um, but today's podcast is "Don't Retire, Graduate." We have our guest, who uh, Eric Brotman, CEO of BFG Financial Advisors. He's been with us before. We'll hear from Eric about his business and what he thinks about uh, the smart way people should be thinking about retirement. Plus, touching upon 2021, right? Since we're in the new year, a lot of things happening, a lot of changes happening around the globe, politics, um, COVID. What is the impact to our financial picture? So we'll be mixing it up a little bit and kind of having that freeform conversation with Eric. Uh, But first, let's talk about some news we saw this past week. Um, The first news story um, is from The Cut, and it's money lessons from a truly terrible year. And when I read this story, Paul, it, 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 some of the themes that jumped out at me were phrases like bare bones expenses and noodle budget. I never heard the term noodle budget before, but I guess that's an interesting way to approach looking at, you know, making sure you're saving your money and, 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 and taking the budgets down to the bare minimum where you can. And, and also, more importantly, understanding where your money is, which I thought was very interesting. Um, Paul, what was your take on this story as you read through it? Yeah, you know, uh, calling it a noodle budget is is a neat way to say it, right? Because you're talking about the Roman noodles, right? Hey, I, what, what can I go get that has protein that can feed me because no money's coming in because COVID has shut down the world? Uh, for for many people are so severely impacted by this, but even those who who maybe aren't in such a dire strait can still. It, it's been a good time to reflect on it. You know, I, I did myself because I didn't know what was going to happen. So 
I contracted a lot. I've been, you know, I've normally been a hawk on the finances. I, I think this year I've, I'd say, almost borderline obsessive with everything from the credit report to um, what's going where. I, I think it's great that there are more and more avenues that, that people are presenting these ideas and these concepts to help people, to help them regain that control in, in their life. You know, back in the day, you know, when people write checks, people say, oh, I still have checks, I probably have money. Right? No, you need to understand. And the the lack, Paul, I think you and I talked about in the last podcast also, the lack of financial education in our schools is troubling. So the more these ideas and thoughts can get out there to help people to prepare themselves for every day as well as for the oh shoot moments, uh, it's great stuff. Yeah, I, I'd have to agree. I, when I read through the article, uh, those similar uh, ideas jumped out at me. I think because of the past year, um, in a weird way, I'm not going to call it a silver lining, but I think people had, a, especially people who had the opportunity, and I'm thankful and grateful for this, to be able to work from home. It gave us a little more time to focus on these things. If you couldn't have go out on a weekend or on a Saturday, you would sit there and say, oh, maybe I'll run my credit report or I'll take a closer look at these spreadsheets or take a closer look at the billing for uh, subscriptions that I'm paying for that I probably never use. So I think it was an interesting uh, year. Um, of course, what, you know, we, we wish it didn't happen, but there are things in there that I think lessons learned along the way that we could take away from this past year and, and look at going into 2021 positively. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you think about it, so if you did that financial tuning already, or if you still, you know, maybe this is a prompt for you to do that, to understand that, then that what you were using in discretionary income, maybe now's the time to think about a better way to utilize those funds. And, you know, that's really a lot with our, Eric here, our, our, our guest. So. Very cool. Very cool. And, and speaking of Eric, the second news story that I selected this week is from Forbes.com. And it's not really a news story, but it's the five personal finance books you should be reading in 2021. So I stumbled upon this, and we'll talk to Eric a little bit about this, but he had some amazing books on the list, including his own, which we will talk about and go into more detail. Um, when I read through his list, he was spot on. Um, the Millionaire Next Door, that whole series, um, always a, a, a classic read to get into the mind of The Millionaire Next Door. Fascinating topic. And then looking at some of these newer releases around the behavioral investor and, and, of course, don't retire, graduate. So I'm looking forward to maybe we could ask Eric a little bit about his list and what his thoughts were going into building that list of books. But anything that jumped out at you from, from his recommendations? Yeah, the, the Millionaire Next Door I always found very compelling and interesting because it's, you know, you know, I used to think about my next-door neighbor when that series first started. And like, you know, he, he, was, he, he moved out not a couple few years ago now. But, you know, he's a dentist and everything and uh, sort of a, a frugal guy. He probably would have been a great speaker for our, for our show here. Um, but I'm sure he was doing fine. And, you know, he's just, you know, retaining and building that wealth. And, um, again, in my mind, that helped me set where I am. Because I, when I bought this house, I was like, how am I ever going to accomplish some of these financial goals? Because I probably overextended myself initially to be honest. Uh, but now it's going okay. 
Very cool. I, I like some of these books here. And, uh, of course, Don't Retire, Graduate. Um, I'm super excited to dig into that one more. Yes, and I think with that, we'll, we'll welcome back to the podcast Eric Brotman, CEO of BFG Financial Advisors. Uh, Eric is uh, CEO of his multi-generational financial planning and wealth management firm based in Maryland, uh, recently launched a consultancy representing financial advisors, and is also the head of Brotman Media, which, is, uh, which has this book and, and also online courses that are coming out. Um, so today we'll discuss his book. And like I said at the top of the podcast, we'll talk a little bit about what we should be looking at in 2021. So with no further ado, we'll bring Eric in from the virtual green room. Hey, Eric, how you doing today? Paul, I couldn't be better. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, welcome back to the show. I know I was telling our new co-host, Paul, that our first uh, you were one of our first guests, and on my side, it was a disaster. My, my I had someone that came to the house to do some uh, yard work uh, unexpectedly at the very same time that we recorded the podcast. So I know Jody and yourself had a lot of good dialogue going back and forth, but welcome back. We're in the middle of winter, and I don't think I'm going to have that problem today. Well, there'll be somebody snow blowing out there or something. But uh, <laughs> when when you record from your home office, you can you have to expect the unexpected. Absolutely, that is true. Yeah, it was that a good lesson true. learned from that day. So, so Eric, welcome back, and we want to hear what's been happening and and talk a little bit about some of these topics. And congratulations on the book. I know you spent a lot of time and and uh, putting that together and and working it through. And I see a lot of. Um, Good press coming on Amazon and and other uh, and other places. And my my copy is now on order, um, and, and I'm going to give it a thorough read. But can you tell us a little bit about the book and, and give us a little bit of background and, and why did you write it? Absolutely. Um, this is the third book I've written, and I, I would like to think it's the last book I plan to write. So uh, so this is this is the one that I think finally creates a, uh, a landscape for retirement and changes the definition and changes the way people look at this. Uh, and I feel like if, if there were such a thing as a manifesto, I feel like this is it. I, I don't, I, I think this encapsulates my 25 plus year career. Uh, and I hope I have 25 plus years remaining in my career. I never want to retire in the traditional sense. Um, you, you know, the book really came for, it took me three years to write and to put together. And, um, it, it really comes from a place of, um, of experiencing working with hundreds of families all over the country, experiencing the retirement process for couples or individuals and, and the impact on families over and over again and seeing the things that, that go right and the things that sometimes don't go right and how little most of those have to do about money. Most of the, the retirements that are successful are the ones where, where people still have a, a purpose and a mission and a, a reason to get out of bed in the morning. Um, you know, it, it used to be you retired at 65 and at 72, you were dead. Now you could have a 30 year period of time. What are you going to do for a 30 year life? There's not enough golf courses, shuffle boards and, and, and daytime TV to occupy 30 years of your life in a meaningful way. It just, it's not going to work. Wow. That, that, that's such a great way to summarize it. Uh, I was wondering how, how'd you come up with the title? Like, I just feel like the title uh, resonates maybe just with me, but but so well. Like I, I've always said, when I retire, uh, I am so busy that I don't see me being bored when I retire. Right? I, I have enough stuff in my little brain here to do and things I want to get done. But this title uh, really summed it up for me. Uh, where'd you come up with that? Well, it, let's think about it. Life is not a dress rehearsal. This is our one go round. 
And um, it, it seemed to me that everything in our lives, except retirement and death, were things to look forward to as a, an amplifier for us. So if you think about it, whether you're finishing grade school or you're finishing college or you're getting your first job, first home, first family for kids, whatever, all the things are milestones that you look forward to, celebrations. A retirement, historically, is a retreat. It's a disappearing act. It's like going from intensely useful to irrelevant in an instant. And, you know, cultures around the world revere their elders. The elders are the wisest. They're the ones that are counseled for the big issues and the big thinking and the big problems. And in our country, we put them out to pasture like they're no longer useful. Go go sit in the corner. We've got somebody else who can come in and do this faster or differently. And it's tragic. And so wow. so I, I think when you when you graduate, it means that you've completed a chapter of something. You've completed a, a, a you've hit a milestone. You've completed a chapter of your life. But you're moving up and moving on. You're not, you're not done. Like, why be done? Have you ever looked at LinkedIn and seen somebody's profile come up as people you might know, and it says just retired? Uh, yeah, yeah. I've seen, I have. Saw that. that last night. Yeah, well, <laughs> it, but it, it might as well say deceased. Why? Yeah. Why would you click and go? Oh, there's somebody I need to get to know. That person sounds dynamic. No. Yeah, I think That's it's a, interesting a, with the whole the whole piece, and I know Eric, we touched upon this, I think, on the last podcast. My my personal goal in retirement, I think there's there are four things. One you mentioned, I'd love to learn how to play golf, right? Um, or play play golf better. I've been playing for years, but you know, uh, stink at it. Um, I would love to be able to be physically fit and do more yoga, do more working out, more healthy activities. But I'd also like to volunteer in my retirement. And and I'm trying to position my life in such a way that when I hit what I'll call my retirement age, and I think to your point, that could vary from person to person. My personal goal number is 62. Um, and to your point, I, I, I hope that when I hit 62, it's not just marking in my LinkedIn that I'm retired, but it could be some uh, pivot of career to something that would be in the philanthropy, you know, um, volunteer space um, uh, and or something like that. Is that also kind of along the lines of what you're thinking is and describing is when you get to that end of the chapter is having something meaningful that you want to do next, right? And it could be a paid gig, it could be an unpaid gig, but just making sure you kind of have that plan that once you graduate, you're on to something else. You sure you haven't read the book? That's right <laughs> on the money. Uh, the, the thing is that being financially independent is a good thing. Having enough resources that you never have to work another day in your life if you don't want to changes the way people feel about work. It's one thing to, to feel like you're punching the clock because you've got to make a mortgage payment. It's a whole other thing to be doing something you love and, and creating um, either more affluence or abundance for yourself in doing so. So, you know, you talked about fitness. I, I would tell you that the, there are three secrets to the happiest retirees I've, I've ever worked with or ever met. Um, and one of them is financial independence and being debt free. The second one is being healthy. Mm. And, you know, you, you don't you can't be eating cheeseburgers at, at, and work until three in the morning at 61 and then at 62 decide you're going to become, you, you know, a, a, a fitness guru. It's hard to get healthy. It's much easier to stay healthy, kind of like it's hard to get wealthy. It's easier to stay wealthy. So in the same sense that you would take care of your money and you'd grow it and you'd get to the point where you're um, where you're independent. I would say do the very same thing with your fitness, with your health. Um, 
it's much easier in your 40s to create habits that will be lifelong than it is to change your life at 62 and, and trade the, the, the business commute for the treadmill. It just, it, I, I, that is an incredibly difficult thing to do. And frankly, uh, a lot of the damage is done, even, even if it's not just excess LBs, even if it's just, you know, your internal organs. I would tell you to start your fitness routine immediately and not, not wait. Uh, in terms of golf, I will tell you, I gave up golf for the good of the game. <laughs> um, I was absolutely, singularly, the worst golfer you've ever seen. I gave my clubs to charity. Like I, I, you know, now I, if I get invited to play, I send one of the, one of the folks on our, on our team. I, I have, I have hit some of the, the worst golf shots in recorded history. I mean, people had to duck. It's not all right. And so I, I, uh, I gave it up. So Eric, uh, uh, wow. Uh, again, like, you know, graduate, again, going back to your metaphor for graduating, because even the healthiness, even the financial independence, all that is, you know, building up to the graduation to what's next. And um, I, Paul Paul knows this. I, I generally bring the sometimes I've been bringing the fire department experience in because I can relate to it. And I, we were chatting in the in the green room earlier, and I was chief of the department. Uh, so I've been in the department for a very long time. And when you're done, most chiefs just disappear and fade away, right? And what I'm seeing is I'm I've done the exact opposite with that where I'm still actively involved, including after we're, we're done here at the podcast, I have to run to the firehouse and go over finances. So I, I love the metaphor. I love how you're, you're building towards this graduation, but you're doing it in multiple paths, not just um, finance, but you're sort of, I'm taking it to maybe a different level, but you're building for what is next. And your LinkedIn metaphor, also a comment of retired, hey, let's get to know that person. No. And uh, wow, that's, that's, it's, um, you know, I think it's, it's understood, but the terms and the way you're presenting it and the, the examples are, are so helpful. And it translates directly to the finances and, and how you have to look at your entire journey. And it is that journey, right? It's not 62 and you're gone. Well, great stuff. Wow. Well, well, you know, I, I appreciate that. So I, I mentioned the, the three, three secrets to happiest retirees, one being health and one being financial independence. Um, the, the third secret is to have purpose. And so that goes to your comment about volunteering. And I would tell you, don't wait until you're 62 to volunteer. Find ways where you can make a difference now. First of all, it's fulfilling and it, it enriches you. Secondly, it'll allow you to figure out the things you're most passionate about. So when the time comes, if the time comes where you're flipping a switch from working full time and volunteering part time to maybe working on a side hustle or part time and volunteering a whole lot more, you'll already know what you're passionate about. You'll be plugged into the, the, the networks or associations or organizations and you'll be able to be much more effective um, and, and you won't be trying to figure out what's next. It's incredibly difficult. Imagine going on a vacation. People spend more time planning their Disney World vacation than they do their retirement. But but imagine going on vacation Sad, but and true. saying, we're going to Italy. It's going to be great. We're going next Wednesday. And you get there, and then you're like, all right, we're here. What what should we do? Yeah, that 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 is an amazing observation. I know a lot of people do that. And I do want to clarify. So from a health perspective, um, I do – 
maintain healthy uh, healthy lifestyles. So, um, and and also from a volunteer perspective, I, I have uh, a charity that that's near and dear to my heart. So I do do a lot of work with them as much as I can. Uh, part time, sure. and 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 to flip that switch, but it is a great observation to let people know that. To your point, you know, it, it'd be great to have those grandiose plans, but you want to action these things now, right? You want to have that plan now, which makes a heck of a lot of sense. I want to pivot a little bit to 2021, and 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 of course, we just finished 2020, um, and I know, you know, uh, before we we kind of jumped on to the uh, recording session here, we talked about the new year, we talked about tax changes, the political climate, COVID 19. We'd love to hear from you, Eric. What's your perspective on on what happened this past year, what's happening next year in terms of the financials, and how that how your book can kind of help us with that journey. It, that's about a six part question. So okay, I'll, I'll, I'll try and I'll try and tackle it in bite sized chunks. And Perfect. if I miss any of it, you let me know. Um, okay, uh, let's start with twenty twenty, um, which most people don't want to talk about and want on the trash heap of life. But the reality is twenty twenty. There were some things that happened that sped up. Um, uh, some of the trends that were already occurring. For example, it, it retail was already changing. So when I say retail, I mean people weren't going to malls the way they did years ago. They were online shopping. Well, that has been amplified, and now it's been applied to things like groceries in a whole new way. Like people who were just tinkering with the idea of having a, a gallon of milk delivered are suddenly doing their grocery shopping online. Um, so th there's been a lot of change, and that's going to impact real estate. It's going to impact employment trends. It's going to impact uh, it, just the, the way that services are delivered. Uh, and that's just one example. Um, it's certainly amplified or changed teleworking. You know, this remote workspace, you know, we have 21 employees at our company, and three of them are not in our home state. Um, we can now hire anywhere in the world, quite frankly. And before it was only IT companies doing that, but now any uh, essentially white collar organization can search for talent anywhere. Um, and it's no longer necessary to, to have potentially the same type of office space. Well, that's a game changer. The technology has changed. The delivery has changed. The experience of working has changed. And even some of the concepts of working, we've learned, number one, that it's not necessary to, to, to button up with a power tie and some cufflinks in order to be successful. In fact, the millionaire next door would say those people weren't successful in the first place. Um, the second thing is it, it's much more important to deliver by a deadline than it is to punch a clock from nine to five. So, you know, people were, were trying to teach their kids um, algebra in between conference calls with clients, and it's okay. So this idea of work-life balance that people have been chasing uh, for as long as I can remember, we have to stop chasing work-life balance. It doesn't exist. There is no such thing as work-life balance. It will never be balanced. I no. believe in, work, in work-life integration. Right. So it's funny. I'm sorry, Eric. Just going to jump in there for a second. Yeah. I was reading an article. I think it was on the uh, San Francisco Chronicle earlier in the week. And it, what, what caught me about that one was work from home just becomes work. Right. So you, you're not because you work from home or telecommuting, as you called it. Right. Used to have a very negative connotation and it used to be the sort of in air quotes. Oh, yeah, sure. He's working from home or she's working from home. But now it is just work now. And for, for so many people that 
or maybe not manufacturing or distribution, things like that, or, you know, healthcare providers, those white collar workers, they can be anywhere. And that can have a huge impact and change on your finances. You know, not having to take maybe mass transit to work every day. That's a huge financial savings potentially for folks. Well, and just not putting the same amount of gas in the car, not wasting potentially. Yeah. I mean, in the Baltimore, Washington area, you know, we have one of the longest commutes in the United States that just poof went away for a lot of people. And if you just were to take a third of the cars off the road, which COVID's taken more than that, and there'll be some, you know, there'll be some changes back in the other direction. The pendulum will swing again when when folks are vaccinated and so forth. Let, let's hope that's coming uh, in a meaningful and profound way. But um, there will be people who don't go back to the commute, which means commutes will be shorter. It means things like like pollution will not be as severe because there'll be less idling. There'll be less traffic and gridlock. There'll be less wasted time. Um, and so all of those things, uh, and, and you're right, you're, you're dead on, Paul, about how work at home is now just work. It's much more important to deliver um, by a deadline and to deliver a great product or service or experience it doesn't necessarily matter what time it is when you deliver it. And so, you know, if, if your biorhythm is different than mine and you want to work different hours than I do, as long as you get your work done, I don't really care what time it is. And that's a game changer from folks who are saying, hey, you were three minutes late to work. What is wrong with you? You should leave earlier. Get up in the morning. Yeah, and I think yeah. we all experience that in our lives, right, over some way, shape, or form from those traditional ways. Um, yeah, so so that's so that's 2020. And it changed commercial real estate. It, it changed um, it, it changed work. And in a lot of ways, it changed school. And I, I think it may have been a, um, a speeding up of the process of damaging the undergraduate college experience. Um, you know, college, for, I know you, you guys went to Fordham. I went to Penn. I had an amazing experience there. I loved it. Um, but a traditional four-year college experience may very well become a luxury and not a, a building block. Uh, and there's lots of good that'll come out of that, quite frankly, because I don't think you learn everything you need to know by 22 and then you never have to learn again. I think learning can be a lifetime continuum as well. And so I, I really think there's going to be some big changes in education, not just the delivery, but the process, the timing. I think student loans, um, thankfully, will be something that the next generation doesn't do. Because we got a whole generation saddled with massive loans and they were sold a bill of goods that, you know, if you if you take these loans, of course, you'll get a better job because you'll have that diploma. And my goodness, you'll pay for that. No problem. Well, that's no different than the argument in 2007 that go ahead and borrow 120 percent of the value of this house that you can't afford because it's going straight up and you'll just refinance it in two years. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, Mark Cuban had some interesting comments on the uh, the college bubble as well uh, a couple of years ago where, you know, the, the undergraduate degree and, and, the, and the cost of it and the burden of the loans, it's just he's waiting for that bubble to burst. Uh, maybe that's another topic, Paul, we can do, right? Yeah, I know but in the it, past we've talked about that a number of times. Uh, that was a big hot-button topic for Jody was the exorbitant cost of the college education, right? And I'm, I'm starting to embark on that, and I know, Paul, you're – you you've you're you're kind of coming towards the end of it with your two boys. I'm just starting that process with my son and I'm starting to look really closely at not so much the financials of the college, but what is the benefit to going down a certain path, right? And I've had this discussion with 
my son very candidly. I said, if you tell me you want to be a mechanic and work on cars because that's your passion, then we'll, you know, you'll talk to Uncle Dave, my brother. My brother's an expert mechanic, right? Um, if you want to be an electrician, we'll talk to my, my friend Angelo. You want to be a plumber, we'll talk to my buddy Joe, right? It, now, he right now, as it stands, he's looking at going down the path of coding and computers. So, you know, I'm not a coder, but I can help him and direct him and try to get him to get to that decision of why we're doing it. Not so much the prestige of a school, but what is the outcome, outcome-based from the education? If you want to code and you want to do X, Y, Z, which schools would take you there in the best way possible? And it's not always about the economics. And I don't know, Eric, if you have any comments on that. Well, well I do. And, and first, I, I think there's a great danger in eliminating the liberal arts base. Because I think the humanities continue to be important. It's important to learn philosophy and to learn how to think and how to read and research in a different way. And um, I, I think this, from. well, and I, I think this idea, yeah, history, it matters. Um, let's not erase it. Um, th there, there are things that make a difference in the development of an adult where um, you, you don't want to be so laser focused on a potential career that it's all you learn because that career could disappear. I mean, there, there are industries that, that come out of nowhere and there are industries that go away. You know, and the, the old joke about the best buggy whip company is no longer relevant. Um, <clears throat> you could also talk about the fact that, you know, when, when we were in school, there was no such thing as a website. So website design was not something people thought it didn't exist. Hmm. Well, the next thing down the road, there, these kids are, are preparing for careers that might not exist in 10 years. Yeah. And so that I'm sorry go ahead Paul. yeah no no and, and I this is a great discussion because I never I didn't look at it from that angle I guess my question to you Eric and I would be so you know for a 16 year old or an 18 year old someone who's starting life right and and I agree with you I went to Fordham and and and, and so did Paul and we all did our fair share of the liberal arts program but I'm trying to balance out the the cost versus the 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 the, the program and do you think that being able to combine these pieces how do you get to that reasonable rational place where the education that you're purchasing is worth the price of admission and and balancing these things out because if you're spending x amount of time on non-laser focus versus your laser laser focused passion how, how do you balance that out and i know i'm kind of all over the board with that question eric and you can help me decipher it <laughs> because you probably heard it a little differently um how would you approach that in terms of being able to balance all these pieces I, I think there's more to college than just the cost and the value. We have to look at it as more than ROI. However, it is not a bottomless pit and should not be. Um, I, you know, I don't understand why college has to be four years. What's the magic of four years? Why isn't it three years? Why, why is it four years just because it's always been that way? Well, life has changed a lot. I don't think it requires four years to, to learn what you need to learn in your major, in your field. Why does it have to be contiguous? Why not have um, uh, more of a system where you work for two years and then you're in school for a year and then you work for two years and then you're in school for a year? Or maybe you're doing all of it at the same time and it takes you eight years to get a degree instead of four, but you've been making a living and not taking on debt. That, you know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like an apprenticeship. But, and that's wonderful. I mean, learn right. from the people who know what they're doing I mean, how much more do you learn in, a, in an internship or apprenticeship or on-the-job training than you can possibly learn in a textbook, no matter what field it is? Yeah, and you know, it is very I'm interesting. 
Okay. Oh, it is very interesting, Paul, because it's prompting, and Paul Becker remembers this best. I worked full-time while I went to Fordham full-time. And and now that you mentioned the whole apprenticeship piece, that's sort of what I wound up doing. I went to Fordham to be an accountant. That was my major. I had confirmed my major early on, and I was taught that, you know, you should be an accountant because it's a steady job, and and you'll do very well, and and, and you should learn that. And what it turned out to be was I got this job part-time, which turned into full-time in technology. And I wound up apprenticing, um, and I'm going to throw his name out there, Joe Pavone, big shout out to Joe, and I still keep in touch with him. Um, he was like amazing, amazing technologist. And I would hang out with him in the office on the weekends and at nights and learning and watching and learning and watching. And to the point where I was able to understand the basics of troubleshooting problems. And to your point, Eric, learning beyond kind of the scope of, okay, I'm going to be narrow here, but learning problem solving, learning how to present, learning how to think. And so now that I look back on that, it was kind of this light bulb moment while I was uh, listening to you guys talk about this. I sort of did an unofficial apprenticeship without realizing. So I'm just going to throw that out. But Eric, I'm sorry I interrupted you. I'll let you kind of continue. No, no, I, I think you're 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 bringing up an incredibly important point, and I think you're totally right. Um, which is that there is there is first no one way to do this. The traditional way we've always done it is rarely the best way to do anything in life. Just because we've always done it that way, and you, you hear that in business all the time, it's like a it, it, it's like a uh, a recording in your head. Why do we why do we use this system? Well, we've always used that system. Well, great, super. Let's not be in 1988 anymore. Um, so, so let but let's talk about 2021 because we've you know we've looked back and we've re-experienced and reimagined some things from last year. But moving forward, um, we're in a very different um, uh, political and economic cycle coming, um, and a very different tax regime is on the way. And um, you know, I, I, I know that uh, politics and religion are the third rail at uh, Thanksgiving. They're also the third rail on a podcast. So I'm not going to opine <laughs> in that regard. I pro- we're not going that way. This is not a rooting interest conversation. It's just a, a, an objective sort of factual conversation. Um, and that is that there will be um, any time you have one political party that controls both chambers of Congress and the White House. There tends to be it's almost like greasing the skids. There tends to be the ability there. There isn't always the implementation, but there's the ability to get things done um, in a less in a more unfettered way. Um, It's a little bit more seamless. And so that if there's an agenda that um, either party ever wants to wants to implement, it's much easier to do when you don't have. Um, you know, one of those three areas fighting back with the with vetoes or with uh, filibusters or with other things. So um, I do think we're going to see an agenda that is able to be implemented over the next at least two years. And that agenda is, first of all, this new Congress and this new president are coming into a very challenging, <laughs> very challenging situation. Not only is COVID still a, a reality. But we've just spent trillions of dollars on a stimulus package. There's a second one that's just begun, and there will be a third one because families are in deep, deep trouble. Um, you know, you've heard you, – you talked about the noodle budget, um, and, and uh, I, I always referred to that as, sh- as champagne taste on a beer budget. But um, you've also heard about the K-shaped recovery. People are talking about Vs and Ws and Us. It's a K. The, the people at the high end – made a ton of money in 2020 and the people at the low end who were one paycheck missed from oblivion are now six months behind on rent. 
and uh, and which which not only means that they're behind on rent and there's issues there, but it also means that the folks who own those properties are potentially behind on mortgages because they're not collecting rent, and it, it just snowballs into this big, big problem. Um, so the new administration is going to have multi-trillion-dollar stimulus packages to find a way to pay for. Um, the federal government does not have a mandate to have a balanced budget. And we could debate whether that's a, a good thing, bad thing, or what have you, but there's no mandate for it, and that's because they can print money. But the states have mandates to have balanced budgets. And so you're going to see, I believe, significant tax increases at various state levels and at federal levels, particularly on the high end. Um, when I say high end, I mean um, taxes on uh, higher income earners, on wealth, on different types of ways to raise um, what is affectionately referred to in the government as revenue, um, and which I refer to more as taxes because that's what it, that's what it actually is. But um, there's going to be a dramatic shift in how this is handled, particularly for folks at high income levels, because it's easy to legislate that. And it will be incredibly popular to take uh, additional dollars from one or two or 5% of the population that benefits the other 95, 98, 99% of the population. That is an easily popular thing to do. And I think we're gonna see it. And so it's gonna be real important to use strategies where you can put money where it's not subject to tax ever again. That has so, never been a bigger a bigger time to do that. So, so what kind of things are you thinking, Eric? Um, there are there are four um, there are four strategies that um, most Americans can use. These aren't fancy. We're not talking um, you know offshore accounts in the Caymans or something or horse races. You know well, things that people can do. There are four ways to do this. And actually, I published an ebook. It's available online for free um, to talk about that. And it was updated in 2020 for the Secure Act. Um, at lowtaxbook.com. And the four strategies, the four places, I, I want to quiz you guys and ask how many of them you know, but the four strategies, I'm not going to put you on that, on that spot. Um, <laughs> the, first, the first one's the 529. The 529 is still an incredible place to park money where it will never be taxed again. Now, it needs to be used for education, but the definition of that has changed, and that now includes things like apprenticeships, um, and it includes things like technology and it includes things that are not your traditional room and board and books. So um, it, it is a great strategy. It is a multi-generational strategy. Um, and there's a state benefits and income tax benefits and other things. Um, the second one is the health savings account. The HSA, you know, I've, I've referred to it before as the greatest tax tool ever invented, and which means it's got to be an accident. Um, but the HSA is... Um, the only place I know of where you can take a tax deduction for a contribution, regardless of your income level. You can take a tax deduction for your contribution, you can grow the money tax deferred, and then you can pull out both principal and, and uh, both contributions and gains tax-free as long as it's used for healthcare. Well, how many of us aren't going to need money for healthcare when we're 75 or 85? Um, it, it is, it is a, I think, a brilliant strategy for that, and it can be invested. It doesn't have to sit in cash. So you can grow this wealth. And by the way, if you're that one person, if you're that unicorn who's healthy until you're 96 and you never need the money for, for health care, you can use it like an IRA and still pull it out like additional retirement accounts and just pay ordinary income tax on the gain. So no big deal. Um, second thing is, uh, the third type of account is the Roth, the Roth IRA, the Roth 401k. This is the one most people know about. But it's a way where you can forego a tax deduction today 
in order to have money grow and then be tax free later. And, you know, I don't know. There are certainly circumstances where it doesn't make sense. If you're in a very high taxable income right now and you're not going to be in 10 years, then this isn't the strategy for you. But for people who are successfully building toward financial independence, the goal is not to have a lower tax bracket in retirement. That's a goal to fail. The goal is to have the same type of lifestyle then that you do now. Well, if that's true, then the only variable on the taxes is going to be what happens in the, in the government and in, in states and, and, and municipalities and the federal government. I don't know any soul who believes that taxes are going to be lower in 10 years than they are now which means that most, most people can benefit from the Roth. Uh, and the fourth one, uh, which, which, Paul, I know will be near and dear to your heart, is, is whole life insurance. Because it is, a, it is a way to park money where it can grow in a, in a tax-favored way indefinitely. It's a, a strategy that you can use during your lifetime, and it's also something where you can leave a legacy. So um, those are the four strategies. I, I barely scratched the surface, but lowtaxbook.com it's out there. It's free, and and it has all the 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 ins and outs of these types of accounts, and the and frankly, some stories about how I've used them. I mean, I used my life insurance to buy my first home, and I used it to start my company. And people don't right. think and, about, and that's what people don't understand, right? Oh, they I don't know. understand these tools that are out there. So, Eric, I just did download the book, by the way. <laughs> well, thanks. Enjoy. So uh, I, I can't wait to to get through it more. But uh, Paul and I were talking about the um, the whole life policy and, and what does that mean and the lack of understanding of it as a financial tool is is a problem, uh, you know, in a way. It's it, the, the ability to leverage that and what you're using. And you said it, right? Help buy your house, help you start the company. And people are like, how can a whole life policy do that? And Paul and I kicked around the idea of doing a topic just on the whole life, uh, whole life policy. So th thank you for bringing that up. I appreciate well, that. Well, the, the, the problem is if you say, hey, today we're going to talk about whole life insurance, you can clear an elevator. Um, because people will yes. run from the, the topic um, mostly out of – I use the word ignorance carefully. I don't mean it to be that someone is acting ignorantly. I mean that – there's really a lack of understanding. Um, if, if people knew how these worked, um, I, I, there are very few people who wouldn't, for one reason or another, want to, want to own that. Now, there's certainly exceptions to everything, but um, I have found it to be, these are good wealth building tools. Like I, I despise taxes in a way that I can barely describe, <laughs> but, I'm also, but, but I'm also not, uh, not interested in breaking the law. <laughs> So there are ways that to do this legally, and um, and as long as you're playing by the rules, it's fine. And so I, I encourage people to anticipate that the the concept. In, in fact, there was an article written recently, and I wish I could put my hands on it, but you you can Google it. There was an article writtenly written recently in one of the financial planning digests that basically said that 401ks are not going to help most people. They're going to fail most people moving forward. Yeah, I, th I think I have to agree with you there because I think most people from a 401k perspective, they, they don't put enough time into learning more about it and they don't understand kind of how to manage it or, if, or get help managing it for them. I could tell you from personal experience, um, it took me a while and, and my, my strategy was that. I 
would put money into the 401k blindly without ever really watching it or monitoring it. And my lesson learned over time, Eric, was to find a financial advisor that could walk that journey with me and help me look at the investment mixes and such that are in my 401k or my 529. So I think having a good financial advisor in your corner can be a tremendous help in, in trying to make sure that you're going down the right path when you're using these tools that you just mentioned. I'm glad you mentioned that because when people hear about financial advisors, a couple things are conjured. Um, one of which is, oh, I'm going to be sold something. Mm -hmm. um, and there are plenty of people out there who refer to themselves as financial advisors who are no more certified to do that than, than the people next door. Uh, and unfortunately, unlike accounting and law and medicine, where there is a very uh, significant standard that is uh, uh, abundantly clear that you have to go to law school and pass the bar exam or you have to pass your medical boards and so forth. In the financial industry, there are certifications, uh, the certified financial planner practitioner, for example, and there are some that require years of study and work. There are others that you, you, you literally could start on your first day and have advisor on your business card. And that's scary. And, and so the public beware, that makes sense. There's, there's actually a chapter in the book, Don't Retire, Graduate, that talks about the types of questions to ask a prospective financial advisor, almost like you're interviewing someone for, for what, what in the world do I need to know about this advisor? What are the questions I need answered? Um, and it's not to determine whether someone is a good or bad advisor. It's just so you understand how they're paid and how it works. And I do have one question on that, Eric, now that you've prompted that. I've heard over the years the idea of a fiduciary, right, when it comes to an advisor. Do you have an opinion on that? Maybe you could talk to the audience on what that means because I think I've – anytime I've tried to describe it, I probably butchered it. <laughs> but I kept hearing about, well, you want the person to be a fiduciary or there's – I would hear – so do you have kind of a background now? Because that's a personal question I would love to kind of learn a little bit more about and trust your opinion on. Well, I have a very strong opinion on it, and that is that if you're getting financial advice, um, you should be getting financial advice from someone with a fiduciary duty, which means that they need to not just find something that's in your best interest or that's suitable or that fits you. They have to try and find um, something that if they were in your shoes, they would advise themselves. If, if you were their mom or dad or brother or uh, uh, husband, that they would give you that same advice. And, and so it, it forces you to put yourself in someone else's shoes and, and to advise them to do what you would do in their situation um, and to put their interest very squarely ahead of your own. And unfortunately, you know, we're, we're, we're the politics of the fiduciary rule are unbelievable. The Department of Labor and the SEC and everyone and some of the states now are trying to do this and it's really going to get mucked up. Um, but having a fiduciary means either um, someone is advising you um, without um, without any type of conflict of interest, which is extremely difficult, or they're advising you with conflicts of interest that are overcomable and disclosed, but also discussed. It's not enough to, to give somebody a 48-page disclosure. I mean, lawyers have been doing that for years. Have you ever read a prospectus? They're 300 pages long. I defy you to read one. Yeah, I have some in my trash right now that came from right. some mutual funds that I own. Uh, to right. your point. It's, just... it's, it's recycling. No one will read it. And lawyers say, well, we told you on page 117, paragraph 4, we told you this. But come on. That, y yes, you did. But there's no way anyone's going to read it. And if they read it, they're not going to understand it, retain it, or do anything with it. So, um, you know, disclosure is not enough. I do believe that the fiduciary uh, standard makes sense. 
Uh, I am hopeful that we will see one that is um, that is well thought out and livable and not just slapped on a on a lunchbox, you know. Um, but the CFP board um, does require certified financial planners to be fiduciaries, uh, and we take that very seriously because uh, ultimately you don't want your financial advisor um, to be a salesperson. You, you want your financial advisor to give you advice. If you know you, the same as you'd want from your from your accountant or your or your doctor, um, and so that that to me is very very important. Um, and we, we talked about this idea of what people conjure up when you think about a financial advisor, and there's some negative connotations, for sure. There's also plenty of stories where financial advisors have, have saved the day, and, and, and so those, those are the stories that, of course, we love to, to hear. Um, but there's also this sense that financial advisors are so expensive that they're only for really wealthy people, and that's just not true. And, and it, so there is a uh, – we, we launched a new website to try and get this message out to the public. It's at financialplanningforall.com. And it is, a, it is a, uh, a way to look at resources and to figure out things, some of which are free, some of which are very inexpensive. There's lots of tools out there to help people on the do-it-yourself basis. There's also resources out there like financial coaches or financial therapists or other types of advice that are not expensive. I mean, you know, there are companies out there who don't want to talk to you if you don't have $25 million. That's clearly not the right person for everyone. So if, if financial planning doesn't have to be any more expensive than your utility bill, and, and so it, it can be a reasonably priced way to get fiduciary advice, and, I, you know, I encourage people to really think about whether having that objective co-pilot makes sense. Because I really do think it's, it's much easier. I have a financial advisor. I mean, I know exactly what I'm doing with, with finances, but at the end of the day, when my wife and I sit down to, to do this, if, if it was just the two of us, I'd be wearing two hats at once, the husband hat and the financial advisor hat, and you can't do that. So I have the two of us sit down with a financial advisor so that I'm on the same side of the table and I'm the husband and the client and not the advisor. That doesn't mean I put away the knowledge that I have. It just means that we allow somebody to look at it objectively. It's very hard. It's kind of like if you're a writer, it's very tough to edit your own work because you gloss over and you read what you think you wrote even though it wasn't there. Yeah, yeah. good point. Wow. Yeah, that's a great call out. I mean, I, I and thank you for clarifying that whole kind of demystifying the whole fiduciary conversation, which led to these other pieces. And like I said, I... I'm with you. I, I, I have a financial advisor. I think that was a turning point in my financial life in terms of being able to be more, to have that somebody in my life that can look at the numbers and help direct, right? And have those regular conversations to be able to to make sure that everything is on track. And, you know, I know we could talk, I feel like we could go on for another couple of hours. We've already yeah. talked a ton and we, and we appreciate your time. Uh, Eric, and, and, and I think with that, maybe we'll kind of go into the wrap-up and the takeaways. I know for me for today, um, great stuff and, and some of the concepts that you brought forward in terms of, I love the term work-life integration, uh, delivered by a deadline, but also talking about your views on the 2020 outlook and taxes. And, and I'm going to download that lowtaxbook.com as well and look at those strategies a little bit closer. Um, Paul, what, what was your take from today's uh, podcast? Uh, yeah, so I 
I think I've been to every website he has already talked about uh, during the call. I downloaded the book. I, uh, uh, I'm rethinking my strategy. Says I'll, I'll be honest with you. I actually don't have a financial advisor. Um, anytime I've spoken with anyone about it, I've gone to uh, big name places. Um, a number of them. My father-in-law even directed me to to someone that he was using, but I didn't have enough money for them, Eric. So, you know, so anytime I've tried to work with someone, either they're like, well, you kind of got everything all set or, well, you're doing okay. You're not going to get much from colleges to help for the kids. So we had our 529. We, we've done a lot of these things. But I think the HSA, you know, the health spending account stuff, it made me rethink my strategy on that. And quite honestly, you know, maybe I do want to sit down with someone who is, uh, shall I say, competent and a fiduciary <laughs> and to, uh, to review this because I've been doing it on my own for a long time. And I, I, I'm always looking for someone to help. And I've never been able to find someone that maybe I didn't try hard enough. I don't know. So, uh, and I can't wait to uh, to read the pay less taxes now stuff, and as well as your actual book. It's already in my Amazon card, and I'll be hitting submit on that in about five minutes. So, uh, great stuff, Eric. I, I do agree with Fagan here. We could probably go on for for hours on some of this stuff. Thank you so much for for attending today's session. For 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 sharing your your wealth of wisdom my pleasure this has been fun i mean i i, uh, I as a repeat guest I, I knew what i was signing up for this morning and I, and it, frankly it's always great to talk to you guys paul it's nice to meet you and um you know if you if you want to bounce ideas off of me anytime i'm, I'm we're here I, I would be honored uh thank you so much sir very cool. Very cool. And Eric, anything else do you want to talk about? It's kind of wrap. I'll give you the last word and maybe last minute, last advice or um, uh, kind of close out to close out the podcast. Uh, the, the last word is, um, number one, that there's no better time than immediately to begin to put your financial house in order. And whether that's with an advisor or on your own, um, don't be daunted. Get started. Um, I, I am, I also host a podcast by the same name as the book. It's called don't retire, graduate. Uh, and we're in our third season and we interview people who talk about, um, the things often that are more important than money and what, what a successful retirement looks like. And, uh, and, and so I would encourage you to check out our podcast as well. Uh, and I hope you'll, you'll pick up a copy of the book at amazon.com. Uh, if you just look up my name. You can also go to BrotmanMedia.com and find the podcast and the books. Um, we have a workbook coming out. It is in final proofing now, and so there'll be a workbook to accompany the the book itself, uh, which is 21 exercises that you can go through. Um, it, it's it's fun. It's not difficult. This is not a a textbook. It's easy to read. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so there there's a workbook coming out that'll that'll walk you through a process. You'll basically be building your own financial plan on your own. Uh, and the online course will be out by mid-year, so we're excited about that as well. But thank you, uh, Paul and Paul. It's been a pleasure. Very cool. Very cool. Well, with that, uh, Paul and Eric, I thoroughly enjoyed our discussion today, and I'm personally looking forward to the next one. Uh, thanks, everyone, for downloading our podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at financialdads at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook. Just go to financialdads.com. So with that, this is Paul and Paul reminding you managing finances can be stressful, but that's why the Financial Dads are here to help you plan for success. Have a good one, everybody. Be well, and thank you. 